You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. It's been such a joy to watch Revolution over the last 11, 12 years, getting to know Josh and seeing what God has done here and the lives that have been transformed. And it's been amazing seeing the miracles that God's done. Amen? And uh, you've been a part of a journey. You may not realize just how special this journey is because we we work with planting a lot of churches and and this doesn't happen every time, okay? It doesn't just happen that somebody plants a church and God just has hundreds and even over a thousand people follow Christ in baptism and walking with him. So you have something really special here and I just want to encourage you, go all in. If this is your first time, just go all in. Josh is an awesome man of God, and Brooke keeps him between the lines. Amen? And we're grateful for both of them and their journey with Christ as they walk it out. Well, today, uh, if you got your Bibles, pull them out. We'll be jumping through the Bible and, and looking at different passages. I was praying about what to share with you today. And I wanted to share something with you that you could take with you forever. Something that might be encouraging, but also challenging. As I prayed through it, I feel like the Lord led me to the fact that I want to teach you how to, how to really chew on and dig into the Word of God. There's usually two ways that we, we walk through the Word of God. The, the oh, snap, dip, and skip. You know what that is, right? When you go through a tough time in your life, you go, oh, snap, it's time to dip and skip. It's like, Lord, give me an answer. Give me an answer. And we open the Bible for the first time in three months, and we know the answer's there. And I heard a story of a pastor one time that, friend of his did that, and he, he flipped it open, he put his finger down, tried to figure out God's will for his life, and it said, uh, go, and uh, Judas went and hung himself, and he thought, that, that can't be it, so he flipped back to another page, put his finger down, and said, that which you must do, do quickly, and so he decided that might not be a good idea. Now, now listen, if you're in that moment, and you're crying out to God, and, and you go to the Word of God to get an answer, that's a good thing, okay, but what I want to share with you today is perhaps even a better thing, and that is daily reading the Word and daily learning from the Word of God so that it becomes a part of your life every day so that when you have that moment in your life and you have those big decisions and and you have those wrestling times in your life, that you can go to the Word of God of what you've already read and what you already know, and you can pull from that treasure trove of wisdom that's in the Word, and that's what you can walk in and that's where you can grow. So I'm going to share with you six different times in my life where the Lord did that. Uh, but before I do that, I want to share about somebody that did that for me. You see, because our faith starts somewhere, right? We have to have a history uh, in our lives of our faith before we can move forward to the future. And for me, I did not grow up in church. My mom was an atheist, my dad an agnostic, and the only time they went to church with me from zero to 18 was the day I got baptized. That was it. And so it was because of a man who many would have written off because up until his late 30s, he was an alcoholic, lost his marriage to alcohol, and was a mess. But in his late 30s, he found Christ, or Christ found him. And he began to read the word, and he began to want to give back so that other people wouldn't have to go through what he went through. In Romans chapter 10, he came to believe. Romans 10, 14 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And so my brother Raymond, he began wanting to tell people. But he was told he wasn't qualified to be a deacon because he'd been divorced. And he wasn't qualified to teach Sunday school because of his past. So in trying to find his spot, they said, you know what? We got an opening in junior high boys. How about that? Amazing. There's an opening in junior high boys, right? And so Raymond began to pour into junior high boys. And I was one of those. I didn't go to church with my parents, but my friends would invite me to go. And I met this man named Raymond. And he took me bicycle riding. He took me hiking. He took me to play basketball. Took me on my first mission trip. Taught me about Jesus. And it was through his testimony and others that I began to follow Jesus Christ. And so I want to start by saying, I don't, I don't know your background. You may have just started following the Lord. You may be investigating. But I want you to know, if you start today, you can change lives. Raymond changed my life through the power of Jesus Christ. And what's kind of fun is now I get to give back. Just visit him. His wife's in the hospital and just got to go visit him last week and, and love on him and his wife there in their late 70s and 80s. And, and so it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when you get to, to give back just a little bit of somebody that's giving you so much. So I'm going to share with you six practical things. Six practical things that you'll probably deal with in your life and how the Word of God can shape your direction and how you decide to go. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll jump in. Most gracious, awesome, amazing Father, we humble ourselves right now. And God, we acknowledge that we need you. Lord, there's a lot of folks going through some crummy times right now. They're going through the hurt of loss of a loved one, broken relationships, painful job situations. And Lord, I just pray that today your Holy Spirit would speak through me in such a way that people would realize that you have truth in your word. You have hope in your word and you give direction and wisdom through your word. And I pray, Lord, we would we would choose to get on a journey with you and get your word in us. I pray that in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so the first practical thing I want you to see is how you, can, how you can use the Word of God to help you with decisions about your future. Now, you may know what your future already holds for you, but I became a Christian late in my teen years, and then <laughs> shortly after that, I took off to go to college. I came to Tennessee Tech because my dad was an engineer, my granddad was an engineer, and my great-granddad was an engineer. So guess what I went to Tennessee Tech to become? An engineer. You got it. So I came, I grew up in Memphis, came here, thought I was going to be an engineer, uh, and I hated it. I didn't realize there were math problems that took more than seven minutes to finish. I, I was like, are you kidding? You want me to spend my whole day working on math? That is boring. It, now, some folks, you're gifted at that. I've got friends, they excelled me. I was on the struggle bus from day one. And so I began to pray. I was a fairly new Christian. And the one thing I loved doing at college was being around other people who loved Jesus and start, started teaching Bible studies, started being a part of Bible studies, uh, started hearing about these mission trips, and I was getting fired up. And I would love doing that and then hate going to class. And so I'm praying like, Lord, is this what you want me to do? So I had a big chemistry test coming up, and it was right before dropping the ad, and 
I was on the struggle bus when it came to chemistry. And, and uh, so I, I went and talked to the Lord. I, I laid a, what I call laying a fleece out. I'll talk about that in a second. I laid this fleece out and said, Lord, if you want me to stay in engineering, I need your help on this test. Okay? And I, I need you to let me know through this test if this is what you want me to do. Now, where did I get that? It's because one of the first things my friends challenged me to do when I became a believer was to read the Bible. I didn't know how big it was, but it was really big. Okay, as a 16-year-old, I'm like, where do I start? They said, the beginning. I was like, okay, that makes sense, right? So literally, I started in Genesis. It took me three years. Most of you guys read it every year, probably. I'm a slow reader, and it took me three years to get through the Bible from cover to cover, but I did. And I'm praying through this decision, and I remember this story. The story of a guy named Gideon in Judges, chapter 6 through 8. And it's an interesting story because uh, Gideon's people, the Israelites, were being oppressed by the Midianites. And they were miserable. And in, um, in verses, uh, Judges 6, 12, God calls him a mighty hero and says, The Lord is with you. And he calls Gideon to rise up and lead the people of Israel out of the oppression of the Midianites. Well, Gideon was not a hero at that moment. He was literally in a cave hiding from, from his oppressors. And so he's like, Lord, are you sure this is what you want for me? He said, I, I really don't know. So if you could do this for me, God. He says, tomorrow when I wake up, if the fleece is wet, I'm going to put a fleece out, a, a ram's fleece. If the fleece is wet and the ground's dry, I'll know this is the direction you want for me. So the next morning he got up, the fleece was wet, and the ground was dry. So you'd think that's a miracle, so he'd go, okay, I'm in. But no, that wasn't enough for him. He's like, ah, that could have been an accident, Lord. What if tomorrow the fleece is dry and the ground is wet? And so the Lord honored that request, and the next day, of course, God answered, and the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. He said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. The Lord used him mightily to set the Israelites free at that time. So I was like, Lord, can I use this chemistry test as a fleece? Can, like, like, can this chemistry test be a fleece for me to find out if you want me to stay in engineering or not? And so I felt like the Lord gave me permission. So I said, Lord, if I do well on the test, I'll stay in engineering. I'll, I'll push through because maybe I'm just being a slacker. But if I don't do well, I'm going to take it. And that means you've got a different plan for me than being an engineer. So I took the test. I studied harder than I'd ever studied. Let me tell you, I really did. I, I pushed hard. I was like, I'm going to learn this. I took the test. I didn't feel great about it, but I was like, ah, we'll see. So I get there, and the professor said, listen, the grades were horrible. He said they were so bad that I've added 20 points to every test. I was like, oh, maybe God does want me to stay in engineering. You know, if I had a 50, that's a 70, that's a C. If it's a, if it's a 60, that's an 80. I'm like, okay, Lord, maybe this is what you want. So I get it. I flip it over. I made a 20. <laughs> Here's your sign, right? I, di I didn't have to ask again. The fleece was wet and the ground was dry. I said, okay, Lord, I went to drop ad, change my major, and then the Lord began to move me towards ministry which I'm so glad he did because I love what I do. You see, too many times we think that God is leading us and guiding us because it's just what he loves. But what you find is if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what desires of my heart was? I, I had a desire to just love on people, to pour into people. 
to be a part of people's lives and encourage it because that's the way he wired me and he put me in the spot that would do that. But he had to redirect me. So I would just say to you, God can give you direction out of his word. If you'll be in the word, he can show you things and teach you things so that you know which way to go. Second, how about a decision about your spouse? Is that not one of the biggest decisions we all have? Young people, let me tell you, the biggest decision outside of following Jesus you'll have is who you marry. It's so important. And how do you know when it's the right one? You know, is it little butterflies in your heart? Is it the googly eyes you make that first time as you look across the cafeteria? Or was that just what you had for lunch, that burrito, right? You know, how do you know which one it is? And so I was in college. I was a believer. I was walking with the Lord. I'd answer my call to ministry. And I met this gal. We fell in love. We started talking marriage. I'm thinking, it's my junior year. You know, we'll finish this. We'll get married after college. And start. I start thinking marriage. She's thinking marriage. And then she talked to her next-door neighbor. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. Instead of seeking the Lord, she talked to her next-door neighbor. And her next-door neighbor was a preacher and uh, his wife. And she hated being a preacher's wife. So she told my girlfriend everything negative about being a preacher's wife. My girlfriend came to me and said, hey, I can't do this. She said, I, I, can't, I can't be that person that needs to be married to a pastor. You're, you're going to have to find somebody else. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, if you want to go that route, I'm done. And so she broke up with me because I wanted to be a pastor. I was so discouraged. I was like, Lord, is that really you? thought this was the one. And the Lord reminded me of a story about a man named Joseph. Joseph's one of my favorite stories. Joseph was a young man of God that God gave him promise that he would have a future for him. But everything seemed to work against that future. The more he tried to follow God, the more oppression he got. His brother sold him into slavery. That's not good, right? And then as he tried to honor God as a slave, he was put over all of, of his master's uh, earnings and businesses, doing a great job. And then the master's wife propositioned him, and he said no. Would you think, hey, you did something good for God, that you should get promoted? Oh, no. The wife turned on him, said that he was propositioning her, and uh, was thrown in jail. So you got to think Joseph's got to get discouraged then, right? Everything's working against him as he tries to follow God. But Joseph presses on, and he honors God, and he gets put over the whole jail. And he even has a, a fellow that he comes and interprets a dream for, and uh, the guy gets set free. And he says, hey, when you get, when you get free, remember me in jail. Come, come rescue me. The guy forgot about him. And it wasn't until the king had a dream that needed interpreting that he invited Joseph to come interpret the dream. He said, I can't, but God can. And God used that and made him second in command. Now, you got to think he could be bitter at his brothers. He could be bitter against the guy in jail. He could be bitter against Potiphar, his master. But he kept his eyes on God and restored and rescued his family. And in Genesis 50, 20, this is the verse that sets me free. Okay? His brothers are afraid that Joseph is going to turn on them after the father dies. And they're afraid that Joseph, now that the, the father is dead, is going to enslave them. And so they come to him humbly. And this is what Joseph said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position 
so I could save the lives of many. That verse, that story gave me hope in a time of discouragement. Satan meant to destroy me, to make me feel like because I'm a pastor, I'm not going to get to have the wife that I want. God meant it for good. Because you see, what he gave me was a wife that I have today that wanted to do ministry, that wanted to be a pastor's wife, that wanted to do missions. And it's a good thing because our journey has been crazy. But when I saw her walk on campus, I had gone to California to go to seminary, at Golden Gate Seminary. And when I saw her walk on campus and I heard she was from Tennessee, I was like, that's the one. I didn't understand all them California women. Well, they were godly women, but I, we just didn't talk the same, you know what I'm saying? But when she walked on campus, I was like, Lord, that's got to be the one. She came in January. My, I asked her out in February, had our first date February 11th. I asked her to marry me in April. We got married in June. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to marry her before she figured it out. <laughs> 29 years, never had one doubt. We've never talked divorce, only murder, once or twice. Uh, we've had six kids, uh, raised six kids, and uh, planted two churches. And she's been right there beside me the whole time. She is a rock star. Our lives now, we've, we've only got one kid left in the house, so what do we do? Well, we, we foster, so we got a foster son. We've moved in a Russian student from college. We've moved in a, a Korean student from college. That's the kind of crazy lives we live. And I know God was so, he was so good protecting me from marrying somebody that wasn't called to that. Instead, he gave me somebody that he had already called and put the desires in her heart. Now, how did I make that decision? The word of God gave me hope that what Satan means for evil, God can use for good. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but I want to tell you the word of God is true. And, and what Satan means for evil, God can use for good. So get in the word. Let, let this word speak to you each day. Now, the next one is what about faith in times of doubt? Uh, did you know everybody doubts? Everybody has doubts sooner or later in their life about God, about their faith. Even preachers have had doubts in their lives about their faith and about their, their journey with God. Sometimes I wonder if it's just me, and then sometimes I wonder if this is just a growing process. But I, I think it's actually healthy for us to all wrestle with these things and really dig into the Word to find out the truth. So for me, uh, again, I got saved later in my teen years. My mom began to question me immediately about why I believe there's a God when there's no evidence for God. And I had to dig in and then began to follow and gave my life to Christ. And, and then I became a pastor. So you'd think I'd have it all figured out by then. But I was pastoring in California, the church that we planted. We were in about year three of the church plant. Uh, it had been a really hard season. We had two kids, two and under. And it was just a hard season. And I kept hearing these doubts. Like, what if this is all for nothing? What if you're, you're laying your lives down for people that don't even care who you are or what you're here for? And what if God's not real? What if religion really is just the opiate of the masses, just something that man has made up to feel better about themselves? And those ideas just started going through my head. I'm like, Lord, I know this isn't true, but I need your word. And the Lord reminded me of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. 
and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light. There was light. And I'm like, Lord, I, I know from your word that you created. But everybody around me is telling it all just happened over billions of years by accident. And everybody's saying, I am stupid because I believe there's a God. And that I am foolish to believe there is a God. And that really this whole world is just an accident, Lord. Please, I need to know. I need you, God, in my time of doubt to help me know the truth. Lord directed me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3, 4. Great passage. For every house has a builder. But the one who built everything is God. Now, as you think of that, think of the building that you came to today, where you're sitting today. Is there any soul in this room today that when you drove up to the Rev building that you thought in your mind, huh, isn't it amazing that over billions of years, all those materials came together and created by accident the Rev Church building? Did anybody think that when you pulled up? And look, it even has a distinct name, Revolution Church, and that's what they call the church. Miracle. Miracle, because it just happened by accident. Now, you, you think, Steve, you're being facetious. I'm not, because that's what we do to God. You realize how complex your body is? It has a specific sign inside called your DNA, different than everyone else in the world. It has a video projection system that syncs your eyes and your brain. I can still picture my first grade teacher's face, and I remember her name was Miss Penny, and she got married halfway through the school year, and she became Miss Romaine. Isn't that amazing? That was 50 years ago. Oh, 40, I don't know, something. It's been a while. It's been a while, okay, first grade. And, and yet I would dare to look at God and say that this is an accident. I would never look at this building and say it was an accident. But I would look at this body. So I'm like, Lord, that's pretty good. I still need more. I feel like Gideon, right? I still need more. And it came through a PBS special documentary. Document. Isn't that funny? Honda had a documentary, and they were showing how Honda, and this has been 20 years ago, had invented a robot that could go up and down stairs. I mean, they were celebrating this left and right. They had spent millions of dollars on research, thousands of engineering hours, thousands of scientific hours, because up to that point, they had not been able to invent a robot that could go up and down stairs. I was like, wow, that's cool. They said the next thing they got to figure out is tactile. You know, tactile, I can pick that top up right there, no problem. Well, robots couldn't do that they, they, because they don't have feelings in the ends of their fingers. They can't pick up a paperclip off a table. And they said, that's the next thing they got to figure out. I went that night to take a shower, and as I was washing my hair, it was like the Holy Spirit whispered, whispered to me. I looked at my hands, and the Holy Spirit whispered, you have tactile. I started thinking about it. What they have spent thousands of hours on trying to figure out, what they have spent thousands of hours engineering and science, millions of dollars to create a robot that can't even do what I did at birth. How dare I say that I'm an accident? How dare I say there was not a designer that designed my body 
I mean, even the best designs. I mean, this will be miraculous. People say there is no God. Let me see, let me see him invent two robots. If they connect a wire between the two of them, and nine months later, there's a third robot. When they can do that, I'll be real impressed. Well, that's what God did. He created mankind that we could reproduce, that we could love, that we could care. Listen, there is a God, and he created you for a purpose, and you don't have to doubt that because his word gives us practical insights on how we can know that we were designed and created. Well, how about this one, the fourth one? How to be a parent. Anybody have a child and all of a sudden wake up and go, oh, snap, I don't know how to parent. Where's the book? Where's the manual, right? And then you think you got it figured out because your first kid's a goody two-shoes. And then the second one's like wild child, right? I had, My first two were boys. My, my sister's first two were girls. They were born about the same time. And so my, my sister watched my two boys. They were probably five and seven. And she washed them for me, well, maybe three and five, I don't know, something like that. She washed them for me, and she literally called me up after I picked them up. She said, Steve, I don't mean to tell you, I don't mean to be mean, but I need to tell you, you're a bad parent. <laughs> I said, why, why is that? She said, your kids are crazy. She said, they just want to jump all the time and run all the time, and and everything they pick up is a gun, and like they bend the Barbie over in half and shoot each other. You know, it's like, it's like they they want to climb the curtains. And I said, Deanna, they're boys. She said, that doesn't matter. She said, I know there's no difference between boys and girls. Two years later, three years later, she had a had a baby boy. Three years after that, she called me up. She said, I am so sorry. <laughs> She said, all he wants to do is jump on the couch and run and throw things, and every Barbie doll's a gun. She said, I thought you were a bad parent. I didn't realize boys were different than girls. Well, how did I know they were? Because the Word of God tells me God created man and woman in his image. He tells me we're different. See, the Word tells us from Genesis to Revelation how to parent. We just have to look for it. As I began to be a parent, my mom and dad, as I said, were not followers of Christ. They did a lot of things right, but a lot of things they didn't. And so I wanted to know how to be a Christian parent as a Christian. And so I started reading, saying, Lord, is there a manual in here? And there wasn't. Truth is, most of the men in the Bible were pretty crummy dads. David, not a great dad. Moses, not a great dad. You read about all these guys. And I'm like, Lord, I need an example. And the Lord said to me, I'm your example. And I began to look how God loved the Jewish people. And I began to see how he, he loved them, but he would discipline them. He loved them, and he would show grace, but if they didn't repent, he would bring discipline on them. And the Lord showed me there's a place of, of love and discipline, grace and mercy. And he taught me, because of some of the disciplines that I saw in the Bible, he taught me that, if the discipline matches the problem, they learn even more. Like Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they got kicked out of the garden, right? I was like, okay. So so one day my kids, um, they were probably about seven, five, and three, were getting to go to, to music camp in the summer for a week. My daughter was excited. My two boys, not so much. 
but my wife wanted my kids to be cultured because I can't play a tune. To, I, I turn the radio on sometimes. I mean, that's about all I got. So she wanted them to go to music camp. I backed her up, said, yep, we'll send them to music camp. First day on the way home, my boys were just beside them. So like, Dad, that, that, all they want to do is play music. Music camp, yeah, you know, they're like all we all we did was play instruments and sing songs. I was like, yep, that's music camp. They did a good job. And my oldest, he must have said the word boring a hundred times, and he's like, Dad, it was so boring. We didn't get to go outside. We didn't get to. And I said, Son, enough. Your mom wanted you to go to music camp. I want you to go to music camp. You will go to music camp tomorrow. And he just kept on and on pushing me. I just, I got so flustered. I'm like trying to trying to hear from the Lord. I was like, I tell you what, you don't want to go to music camp? No, Dad, it was boring. It was boring. It was so bored. I was bored. I said, okay, tomorrow you don't have to go to music camp. He was like, really? I said, yeah, and I promise you won't be bored. He said, really? He thought I was joking. I said, no, I tell you what, I'll talk to your mom about it. And the other kids will go back but because they're okay with it, but you don't have to be bored tomorrow. He's like, okay. Next morning, he got up, put his clothes on because he thought I was kidding. I said, oh, no, you, you don't have to go to music camp. He's like, really? I said, that's right, and you won't be bored. He said, okay. So I got the other kids in the car, and I handed him a pair of scissors and a glass of water. I said, I'm going to take them to music camp, and while they're there, you're going to cut the grass. And, and you can go inside to go to the bathroom once, and you'll have a glass of water until lunch. And I want this whole front yard cut with that pair of scissors when I get back. He's like, you're joking. No, I'm not. I left. Took the other kids to music camp. I came back after two hours. He's out there. I said, hey, son, how's it going? I said, are you bored? Nope. Not bored, Dad. I said, how's that yard cutting going? I'm trying, Dad. I said, you know what your brothers and sister, brother and sister are doing right now? He said, what's that? I said, they're bringing Taco Bell for lunch at music camp. He's like, oh. I said, would you like to, to have Taco Bell for lunch? He said, I would. I said, if you do, you have to go to, to music camp. He said, can I go? <laughs> I said, you, you can if you want to go. He said, I want to go, Dad. Can I go to music camp? I said, you sure can. He jumped in the car. I took him to music camp. He had a great day. Didn't hear the word bored ever again. Now, some of you may think that's cruel, unusual punishment. But I helped him understand that he was blessed. And he was complaining because he just didn't want to be there. Where did that wisdom come from? Uh, it came from the Word of God. Learning to parent from the Word of God. Seeing how God loved fiercely, but also disciplined with love. I didn't want my kid cutting grass with scissors, but I also wanted him to understand that he was blessed and that he wasn't bored if he chose to invest in what he was doing. And it's kind of funny, from then on, it became folklore in our house. Anytime one of the kids would go, oh, man, that's a boring thing, they'd be like, shh, dad will give you some scissors. And uh, so, so God will teach you how to be a parent. And the best example I found of that is Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, 16 and 17, as God parented his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus is beginning his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, this is what it says in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. It says, after his baptism, 
as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly son who brings me great joy. You know what God did in that moment? He spoke blessing over his son. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he's going to tackle the hardest job in the history of the world, God spoke blessing over him. And then towards the end of his ministry, he got his disciples in Matthew chapter 17. He does it again. Matthew 17. Uh, let's just read one through five. It says, six days after Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Dads, moms, we need to do this for our kids. We need to speak blessing over them. We need to spend more time affirming them than criticizing them for what they're doing wrong. We need to love them more than discipline. Now, a lot of you may have grown up the way I did, and, and that's why I had to look to the Word to learn to parent, because as much as I loved my family and I loved my mom and dad, respect them, my dad's understanding was make it harder so that he'll get better. And so I remember one day I brought home my report card. I had five A's and one B. I was so proud. I was so excited to show my parents my report card. My dad got it. He said, why'd you get a B? I was crushed. I was disappointed. I was like, I had worked so hard. And all he could see was the B. Parents, some of you wrestle with the fact that all you can see is the B. God wasn't like that. God started with the A's. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As a parent, I want to challenge you to make it your goal that you encourage twice for every time you have to correct. Make it your goal then to move to three times for every one. As I raised my kids and I learned this principle, I began to, to go to them and say, hey, I want you to know I caught you. They get all nervous. What what I do, Dad? I caught you helping clean the kitchen with your mama without being asked. Well done. I'm so proud of you. And then whenever somebody in, in the church or somewhere would say something nice about my kids, I would thank them. And I'd go to my kids and I'd say, oh, Mr. Jones told on you today. What did I do? He said, you are so helpful in class and you are encouraging other kids. I'm so proud of you. That is just like Jesus would do. You are awesome. It was so much fun. Still is. Even with my boys today, my oldest is 26, down to 16. Whenever they do something right, my son, ah, formed his cockles of my heart. He and his wife just started fostering. Brought a 10-year-old into their home. 
They could be spending all their money and all their time on themselves, but instead they did that. And I just called him. I let him know I'm so proud of you. Well done. Well done for loving others when you didn't have to. Dads, we really need to do this. If God thought it was important, don't you think we need to? Moms, you really need to do this. If God thought it was important, don't you think you should? The Bible's so practical, guys. He teaches us how to parent. He models for us. Well, the next one, the next one is, is learning uh, and leaving uh, hurts. Learning to love people who've hurt you deeply. Learning to love people who've hurt you deeply. I'm pretty sure if I ask everybody who's in this room, if you've ever been hurt deeply, most everybody would raise their hand. A pastor friend of mine said one time, they said, if you've never had trouble forgiving people, it's because you've never been hurt deeply. I was like, wow, that's, that's a nugget. I'm certain that if you haven't been hurt deeply, it will happen. And I don't mean to speak ugly over it. It just happens. And where do you find the understanding of how to deal with that deep level of hurt? You go to the Bible. Luke 23:33 is where Christ has been betrayed. His best friends have all run and left him behind. The people that he healed were chanting for his crucifixion. He has been beaten. He has been crucified. He has been mocked by the one of the criminals next to him. The centurions are casting lots for his clothes. Most historians believe that he was on that cross buck naked in front of the whole world. Most humiliating time ever. Now, if that had been me and I had the power of God, I would be calling down fire from heaven and zapping every sucker that messed with me. You know what I'm saying? It'd be like Terminator 3 right there. It'd be my turn, but not with Christ. Look what he did. It says, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. In that moment, Jesus continued to love and forgive. You want to know how to treat people that have hurt you deeply? Love and forgive. Is it hard? Oh, yeah. Nothing's harder. But God calls us to do it. I told you about my mom and dad. They're great people, but mom and dad didn't make it. They didn't make it through divorce. I graduated at 18. My dad left my mom. Married a secretary six months later, and uh, it wasn't a good thing. Dad and I's relationship was horrible, and I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord said, you got to love and forgive. So I, I did. I reached out. We began to build a relationship back, which made my mom angry because now I had a relationship with my dad and my stepmom, so obviously she wasn't excited about that. So this whole difficult scenario but I knew what I had to do because God showed me. I'm called to love and forgive. And then there was a blow up at my wedding night. The, the rehearsal night before my wedding, my mom and dad, and it got ugly. I got involved. So um, it got uglier than ever. 
So on my honeymoon, my dad called me up and said, my, uh, my wife said that I got to pick between you and her, and I pick her. So you'll never hear from me again. <laughs> Good honeymoon present for my wife, huh? Obviously, hurt deeply. I'm like, okay, God, what do I do? What did Jesus do? Love and forgives. That doesn't mean you approve of what they do, but you love and forgive. So I told my dad, I said, Dad, I love you, and there's nothing you can do to not be my dad. So I'll always call you, and uh, I'll always send you a birthday card. It's up to you whether you answer. Well, for the next, I don't know, 20 years, I get to visit my dad in a restaurant once a year with my kids for Christmas. And uh, that was it. And then about three years ago, my stepmom passed away, and my dad's health declined dramatically. And so I went to visit him one time when he was in the hospital. He'd almost died. This was right at three years ago. And I got there, and, you know, whether he's going to make it or not, they decided he's going to make it, but he, there's no way he can take care of himself. He's 80 years old. He's got diabetes. He's had a heart attack, a stroke, all kinds of problems. He can't walk. And so I met with my dad, and I said, Dad, what are you going to do? I said, you, you need to have somebody come live with you, or you're going to have to go in a nursing home. Or I said, you know, you could come live with me if that's what you need to do. He said, nope, not going to do any of that. He said, I'm going home. I'm going to do what I did before. I'll take care of myself. I said, Dad, you're going to die. I said, the doctor just sat there and told you, you're going to die if you go back home. You can't take care of yourself. I said, but that doesn't scare me. What scares me is you don't know Jesus, and you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell. And that breaks my heart, and I can't, I can't live that way. I want you to be in heaven with me. He's like, I'm fine. I'm doing my own thing. See you later. So I left and drove back to Cookville from Memphis. And just wept pretty much the whole way back. Like, God, this doesn't make sense. You tell me to love and forgive, and I just feel like it just keeps getting piled on deeper. You felt that way before? Some of you, you've loved your kids, and you've loved your kids, and you've admitted the mistakes you've made, and you just feel like the stuff gets piled on deeper. You've loved your parents, you've loved your sibling, and you feel like you just keep shoveling it out, and it gets piled on deeper. I went home. I was like, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I, I want to be done. It hurts. My dad called me up three days later and said, well, said uh, I decided I'm moving in with you. Can you pick me up in the morning? I was like, what? Now, I made the mistake I had it on speakerphone, and I hadn't even told my wife I was asking my dad to move in. Yeah, remember that thing I told you about picking the right wife? Well, she was fine with it because we both had decided early on that whatever our parents needed, that was our responsibility. So we moved my dad in with me. He didn't even know my kids' names, only my oldest, because he's got the same name I do. He called him the kid with the long hair, the kid with the car, the, the girl that's in college. At his age, he couldn't remember their names. My dad started going to church with us. I'll make it quick. He gave his life to Jesus. It changed everything. He began to be a joy to be around. My son came to me one day and said, Dad, who is he? I said, son, that is the father I would have had if he had found Jesus at a young age. He has peace. He has joy. And he has love for you kids and me now. My dad came to me after a men's event we had. I said, I need to talk to you. I said, what is it, Dad? 
said, I need to apologize. He said, when you're growing up, I never told you I love you. He said, but I do. And I want you to hear it from me. I love you. Wow. I was blown away. What if I had done what I wanted to do? What if I had carried that anger and bitterness? Would it have poisoned him? It would have poisoned me, right? You see, what God tells us in his word makes sense because it's truth. It just doesn't make sense in the, in the realm of humanity. But I want you to know God's word comes alive. And if you'll dig in, he will speak to you through it. The last, and I'm needing to wrap up, is that the Bible will help us learn how to walk through the tragedy of death. I'm pretty sure all of you dealt with death. Some more than others and some at more times than others. I want you to know the Bible will help you walk through the tragedy of death. Two weeks ago was the worst week in my life as a pastor. A young girl that grew up in our church that everybody loved, 18 years old, went away to college to be a to figure out uh, to go to school and uh, got a phone call Monday morning, two, 13 days ago. She didn't wake up, died in her sleep. That's not supposed to happen with an 18 year old, perfectly healthy girl. Rocked our church, rocked us. Her mom serves on our staff. She spent the night with my daughters, good friend with my daughters. My daughter spoke at the graveside. First Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back him with him the believers who have died. This is the hope we have as followers of Jesus Christ. This is what we proclaim. This is the good news. The only way I can look her parents in the eye is to let them know it is not goodbye. It is see you later. And listen, I don't know where you're at with Jesus right now. But if you do not know Christ and you're just thinking you're 18 years old, you're going to live on forever. You don't know that. And I am here to shout it from the mountaintops. Jesus Christ is the only hope we have for eternity. If you do not yet know him, please don't wait another day. After the service, find somebody in the band. Find somebody on staff. Share with them that you want, to, you want your questions answered. You want to know more. I told you about the people that we have living with us. And yesterday over breakfast, uh, the young Korean girl who's been living with us for about a month and a half asked me, we've been talking about the Lord. She's been going to church. She said, tell me about how you became a Christian. And I shared with her, and I, I shared with her how to become a Christian yesterday about 9.30 in the morning. I said, do you want to follow Jesus? She said, I do. And we prayed, and she gave her heart to the Lord yesterday after breakfast. Listen, that's going to make so much more of the difference than any college education, any wisdom I can share. Christ will walk with her now through the rest of her life. I ask you, those who know Christ, are you in his word? I want to give you a challenge. If you start today, there are, I think, 270 chapters, maybe 260 in the New Testament. If you start today, you can read the New Testament 
from start to finish between now and the end of the year. If you've never read the New Testament, you should start there. Start with Matthew and let the word of God infuse you so that when you go through the most horrible moments of your life, you have something to stand on. The rock of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. I'm going to pray for you and just invite you to take that step of faith to start walking with him. And if you know him, to start reading his word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of speaking to these awesome people. Oh, Lord, you have such a future plan for everybody in this room. Lord, a lot of people are going through some hard seasons right now, and they just need a big bear hug from you. I pray you bear hug everybody that needs it. Others, Lord, are trying to discern, are you for real, or is this all just a joke? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit whisper truth into their mind right now and invite them to be children your children, adopted with your last name. And then others, Lord, are just going through a hard time, and they're seeking, and I pray that you show them through the word the good news and that they will be diligent to read the books of the Bible, starting with Matthew through, the, through Revelation and knock that out through the end of the year. I pray we would not be slackers in that, but that the word would come alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.